I think it was during the 60 day period when I met my, my friend and sort of initial sponsor, Neil, where we were going to meetings every single day and right around by 60 days of going to meeting every day, I kind of was feeling like I want this. I actually want this. And I hadn't wanted it before. It was something I had to do or it was something that was forced upon me through circumstance. But that spiritual awakening, the awakening was, I actually want this. So if you can, if you can get to that place, if you can hang on there until that miracle takes place for you, where you, you say to your innermost self, I actually value this. I want this. Um, that'd be a, a huge day for you. And, and very good things will come from that. That was Tommy Rosen. And this is the Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Share Podcast. And today... I am so excited to announce that Tommy Rosen, Recovery 2.0, is joining us on the show. And wow, guys, I'm just blown away and grateful. Um, three years ago, when I interviewed Nikki Myers, I posted on, on the Share Recovery Network that uh, one of my dream guests was Tommy Rosen. Uh, Sarah Heppola is one. Tommy Rosen is another one. And Robert Downey Jr. was in the list. Oh, and, and uh, Rich Roll. So of my dream guests, we've had uh, Sarah Heppola, and today we've got Tommy Rosen. Somebody get a hold of Robert Downey Jr. so we can get this interview kicked off and rocking and rolling. Um, in the meantime, folks, this interview was spectacular. We had an amazing time. It was so great to have Tommy on the show. So many takeaways. You're going to have to listen to this one twice. And this episode is coming out just in time to announce the 10th Recovery 2.0 online conference that starts on June 6th, which Tommy will go into more details as we get towards the end of the episode. So buckle up, folks. Make sure you're at a place where you can take notes because there is nothing but value coming out of this episode. So let's dive right in. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Today's episode featuring Tommy Rosen Recovery 2.0 is brought to you by ShareSpace Recovery. ShareSpace Recovery is our brand new recovery membership site that is only $17 a month and currently features 16 online meetings that include Y12SR, Refuge Recovery, Open Topic Meetings, Sober Mommy and Sober Daddy Meetings, a UK meeting, and they're all done virtually online using Zoom video platform. And the purpose of this secret group, which is secret, is to create a bridge to as many pathways of recovery as possible and allow you to select and customize the recovery pathway that works for you. So again, what you will get by joining ShareSpace Recovery is a group that is completely secret. No one outside the group can see this group or find this group on Facebook. It provides online meetings so you can see all your friends face-to-face every week. At ShareSpace Recovery, we meet you where you're at 
and help you discover the pathway that's right for you. So to join ShareSpace Recovery, go to www.thesharepodcast.com forward slash recovery. Remember to spell share, S-H-A-I-R, to join ShareSpace Recovery today. And for those of you that are looking for the perfect recovery gift to give to yourself or to a friend in recovery, then go to www.allrecoveryrings.com. At All Recovery Rings, you can have any recovery medallion beautifully transformed into a ring you can wear on your finger. All you need to do is select the medallion of your choice, submit your ring size, and All Recovery Rings will create the perfect ring for you. So go to www.allrecoveryrings.com and order your recovery ring today. And if you'd like to support the Share Podcast by putting a dollar in the basket, then go to the Share Podcast website, go to the top of the website, and click on the link that says The Basket and drop a dollar in the basket today. If you're looking for a free resource outside the podcast that is over 5,000 members strong, then go to the Share Recovery Network on Facebook. It's our private Facebook group that's absolutely free and has support 24-7 from all over the world every single day. So to become a member of our free Facebook group, go to Facebook, type in S-H-A-I-R Network and join the Share Recovery Network on Facebook today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of amazing reviews, this one is <sighs> heavy. It's from Jim. I was down and out thinking about taking my life. I had no control over my addiction. I stumbled upon this podcast, never listened to a podcast before. These amazing people who shared their journeys, Omar's compassion, and everyone's thoughtful suggestions saved my life. It has also empowered me to seek tools to help better my life in every way. I am forever grateful and thankful I stumbled upon my new friend at the Share Podcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Omar. Wow, that one got me. Whew. You never know just how much you're impacting people's lives until you get a message like this. Jim, thank you so much. And I promise you, brother, we are going to keep doing podcasts until the wheels fall off this motherfucking bus. <sighs> Love you, brother. HP, baby. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Hey, Tommy, thanks for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Dude, this is so exciting, man. How you feeling today, bro? I'm stoked. I'm stoked too. <laughs> All right. So listen, folks, today we have Tommy Rosen joining us on the Share Podcast. Tommy needs no introduction. He's the founder of Recovery 2.0, Life Beyond Addiction, a yoga teacher, addiction recovery expert, the author of Recovery 2.0, Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life. 
What an absolute honor it is to have you on the show, Tommy. Man, thank you again for joining us. Well, thank you, Omar. It's honestly my absolute pleasure to be here. Well, good, good. I got to tell you, man. So a little bit of a backstory, just so you know. So the, the, the podcast has been around since 2015. Uh, guest number 24 is Nikki Myers. Uh, and she was coming down. Th- you, you'll remember 2015 because you were in Costa Rica 2015. And so I had just launched the podcast and I was like honored to have Nikki on the show. And so she was like, yeah, I'm going to be in Costa Rica. I've got this thing going on with Tommy. And I'm like, you got to hook me up with Tommy, right? I got to get him on the show. So folks, as a testament to perseverance, I now have Tommy on the show three years later. (laughs) (laughs) But we made it. We made it. (laughs) All right. Yeah, never, never. All right, so there's a lot of exciting stuff. I know you have a ton of stuff going on right now, and we're going to get to all of it because here is a man who has built a mecca for recovery, just a, a just an enormous following for people that, that want to get clean and sober. And, and so what Tommy has built is, is a name synonymous with recovery and with yoga and with wellness and mind, body, spirit, the issues in the tissues, right? And so so I do want to get into that, but I want to talk about what it was to get to where you first launched, right? I want to talk about the Tommy Rosen that was doing cocaine and doing heroin and and like rock bottomed his life, you know, because the Share Podcast for, for the last three years, what we do is we talk a little bit about, well, actually, we talk a lot about what's going on in your life today, which is going to be my first question to you. But we also, I'm going to, I'm going to unleash you in a little bit so you can tell your story. And that's what our listeners want to know. They want to know what it took because so many of my listeners in the Share Recovery Network, it's a private group. And in there, there's 5,000 members. And in there, it's just like, how did you do it, man? How did you get from where you were to where you are now? Because your life seems so amazing, which it is. My life's amazing. Your life's amazing. You know, we're married. You know, we have all these beautiful things in our lives but before I lost everything and it took, it took me losing everything to find myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I want to dive into. So, so those are going to be, that's going to be the direction of where we're going to be going. You cool with that? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. So my first question as a man who is super busy these days, how, what does your normal daily routine look like, including recovery? Yeah. Um, well, uh, this is a, a function of personality. Uh, but I don't have a normal daily routine. There are a few things uh, that are everyday things like my morning practice. Uh, So my morning sadhana practice, sadhana just is a word that means uh, spiritual practice. And so that's going to be yoga, meditation, some chanting, some meditation. It depends on on the day, Uh, journaling, uh, sometimes calling people is a part of my morning sadhana. Uh, sometimes, uh, walking in nature or riding my bike is a sadhana practice. Uh, it takes a lot of different shapes and sizes, uh, but some dedication to a practice that brings me into connection with myself, uh, before, before the day gets going and it's momentum and, and I, uh, haven't already established myself in myself, which is the, the first order of business any day. Um, and then, you know, there's just, you know, with Recovery 2.0, we, we work in sort of projects. We work in cycles. So right now, for example, we have the big uh, conference coming up June 6th through the 10th. It's our 10th online conference. 
Uh, and it's very exciting for us. And it's also a tremendous, tremendous uh, output of energy and work and coordination to make it happen. And so we work in, in, in chunks like that. So right now is an intense time. Uh, the day today is going to be uh, podcasts and uh, me interviewing other people as well. Uh, and then a, 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 a large amount of communication with my team uh, to make sure that people are learning about the opportunity that we're presenting, which is a free opportunity for anybody to partic- participate in this conference. So that's, that's what's going on right now. You know, in the summer, we travel a lot to festivals and conferences. Um, we, we have our annual uh, Kundalini Yoga gathering in uh, the summer solstice on June 21st. That's a lot of fun for us in New Mexico. Uh, we, we, we travel uh, internationally to India and Costa Rica, as you were mentioning earlier. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so we have a very rich and varied life, which, you know, sometimes working very, very diligently and, and focused. Uh, other times more a different kind of a flow, if you will. Uh, always, you know, recovery is, is number one for me in my life, uh, for sure. Uh, everything comes from my spiritual dedication to being a person on a path of recovery, which for me is really just a path of discovery. I like that. I like that. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot, I, I love to eat really well. Uh, so I food, food and the, the, the eating of really healthy food and exercise is a part of almost every day for me. Um, so I play tennis, I hike, I mountain bike, um, do a lot of yoga. And uh, those are the things that I, I really, really enjoy the most. Spend a lot of time hanging out with my incredible wife. And that, that's, that's a huge joy and blessing for me in my life. And that's, that's a, a little snapshot of me. A little, a little, right. Well, and which is why I asked because there's, it's just so much. And I like the word, you know, chunks, right? Because you have to break it up. There's so much throughout the year, all the different events, right? And so you have to shift the energy, you know, accordingly and appropriately. But the most important thing is to always maintain that routine that allows you to get centered, get connected, right? And, and connect with, with spirit and with a higher power. My next question, which you've already kind of touched on, but it's, it's one of the more important facets of my recovery, which is spirituality. So, so what is it particular that your practice is for maintaining that relationship with your higher power on a daily basis? Uh, that's, that's an incredible question. Um, not an easy one to answer quickly. So I, I'll just take a, a, a little more time with it. Uh, Absolutely. My understanding of, of the way things work. Uh, both on the seen and unseen level, has shifted a lot over the years. My openness to ideas and concepts has grown over the years. My, uh, my willingness to listen more deeply has, and my, my capability of listening has grown over the years. The practices that I've engaged in from 12-step recovery all the way to yoga and meditation, uh, these practices have unlocked the ability to see and to relate with the parts of life which are less visible, if you will. The spiritual side of life, just simply meaning the the part of life which is more subtle than the physical, um, is not some form of theory for me. As, as real as you and me speaking with each other right now. 
And the way I would break that down for any, anybody listening or watching is to simply say, I am speaking right now. My words are carried on my breath. If I wasn't exhaling, I wouldn't be able to speak. Just the simple fact that my brain can emit electrical signals, which you can't see, which run through uh, a series of 72,000 channels in the body called nadis, which are your nerve endings, your nerve channels, that those messages can be released that allow me to think, to create words, to put them together in a, in a way that could make sense to somebody else and to consider these ideas. And that the fact that that's all carried on the breath in a nanosecond, uh, that is what I'm talking about when I talk about the more subtle parts of our life that we can't necessarily see, but we want to learn to relate better with those aspects. Addiction is a very gross form of uh, relationship. The more we recover, we move from the gross into the subtle. That movement from the gross into the subtle, that's inevitable for everybody, if, if you pay attention. And the movement to the subtle is where the joy is and where the action is and where the appropriate response to life can take place. The hanging on to addiction, the gross part of life, is to stop one's natural evolutionary flow. To stop your natural evolutionary flow is against the natural evolutionary impulse of the universe. That is to say the universe doesn't like that. You know that because it's painful. You're very clear on it because your life goes into the toilet and you end up being in so much pain because you've tried without knowing you've tried to stop the evolutionary flow of the universe and it doesn't work out well for you. So in, in, the, in the world of spirit and spirituality and, and ideas around God, um, to me, uh, it, it, I'm happy to share what my belief is about God, but it wouldn't be anything more than just my belief. And, and my belief is only going to work for me. And uh, uh, However, when I hear other people's beliefs about God, it's interesting and, and provoking. And, and sometimes it can be uplifting and elevating for me and point me in the right direction. So I will just say this. Um, I used to have an external concept of God. There was God, and then there was me and everything going on with me. Through yoga, through spiritual work, through reading, through being around very wise people who could help guide me, and also around whom I could be influenced and uplifted, exalted, you might say, from hanging out with people like that, my understanding of God completely shifted to a God that included me. That if I was really going to talk about God, which is everything, it's allness, it's oneness, how could I exclude myself from that picture? I mean, I'm a part of the universe. I'm here. So I must be, you know, on some level, there must be God threaded through me, just like through you and through uh, everybody uh, and everything. So the famous quote from Kundalini Yoga from Yogi Bhajan is, if you don't see God in all, then you don't see God at all. And so that idea of God as an energy running through everything, as a consciousness 
an awareness, a consciousness through everything. That began to really help me to, to move forward into a very spacious place where there was all of a sudden room for everybody, where I didn't need to be right about anything. I didn't need to uh, change anyone else's opinion that I was finally just getting just to be. And I could just be in this energy uh, and choose to be there and choose to, to work with it and move in the direction that it wanted me to go, which is very clear when you got it because you start to feel good. <laughs> you start to feel genuinely good. Yes. And, and, and so the last piece on that is um, everybody is at uh, a level of development. And not everybody is at the same level of development. And that is not a judgmental statement. That is a point of fact, much like you have certain people who are younger people or less experienced people, um, and they might be in high school. You have another group of people who are a little bit more experienced. They might be in college or graduate school. It's kind of like that. Like we all want to believe that everybody's developed uh, a spiritual maturity in the same way at the same time. That's just simply not the case. So I want to get around the people who have developed themselves or who have the gift of being more spiritually mature and more mature and more kind and loving, compassionate, forgiving, merciful. I want to get around those people because those people, I can catch their consciousness just by being around them because consciousness now we're talking in the spiritual realm. It's not something you can grab onto or hold or, or smell or taste. It's just there. It's consciousness. Now that consciousness is contagious. How do I know that? I know that because when I get around these high people, I start to feel better. I start to, I start to be uplifted. And when I get around incredibly negative people, it's not that they're bad people. It's just that they're stuck in something. And when I get around it for a long period of time, if I don't have a good boundary up, I can get drawn down. That's how I know consciousness is contagious. And I know that I'm susceptible. I'm susceptible. I'm vulnerable to it. So I have to be careful and I have to make good choices. Who am I going to be around? What am I going to look at with my eyes? Am I going to, you know, watch the news? I just don't do that. This is a dismal, horrendous journey into pain and suffering that about which I can do nothing. So I have to watch that. Or I could open up my computer and watch a really uplifting piece of spiritual content. Or if I'm interested in music or art, I can put some mental attention towards becoming a better musician or a better artist. I can learn something or I can learn a new language or learn a new particular chant or mantra that I want to study, which brings about a, a really positive effect. And by the way, it also works my brain in really great ways. So this is all just to say that my relationship with the unseen has grown and grown and grown and shifted over the years. And for me, um, 
it's, it's become the most important relationship. It's the relationship, the vertical relationship that is responsible for all the horizontal relationships here. Do you understand? Yes. So, so that's the one that we have to get in order so that this ends up working out as well. Uh, and that certainly not the way I spoke or believed or thought or could, could speak about when I first got sober 26 years ago. <laughs> no, no. I got to tell you, for those of you listening, Tony just put me like, lulled me into a, like a bit of a trance right now with this beautiful expression of his personal relationship with spirit because that's that's what it is it's his interpretation a, a perfectly described interpretation of what it is to be connected with spirit what it is connected to be part of the universe and a lot of which is what you we all have inside of us we all have this inherent connection with the divine and if and i love that if 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 god does not love one of us, he does not love any of us, right? In in that sort of a context, um, and it's been it's it's why I asked the question because to me it's been one of the most important. It's the guiding force within me that when I'm lost, when I just can't seem to find my way, right? And I just sit in silence, and I ask, and I connect, and I allow myself to be guided. The answers they come. And so there it is. It is. It's inside of us. It's all around us. And I love what you were talking about, too, when it comes to being around the right people, right? We feed off of, especially when we're as open as we are, right? We are constantly connecting with people all over the world, all the time, on a daily basis. And we recognize when they're taking energy or energy is being taken from us instead of us receiving energy because it is you either are receiving right you are the receiving energy or you being or your energy is being taken away and it's so important to recognize that so 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 my next question because you said 26 years my next question is uh when is your anniversary date um you have 26 years when is your actual clean date uh i'll have 27 years on june 23rd june 23rd june 23rd coming right around the corner i love it yes 27 years. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to go back in time and briefly tell us, the first question is going to be, how old you were the first time you drank or used drugs? And more importantly, how did they make you feel? Hmm. Well, the very first time, the very first time I drank was when I was 13. And uh, I drank a bunch of beers maybe four or five, which for my little frame at the time was quite a, quite a lot. And I had no reference. Uh, I certainly wasn't trying to hurt myself or to obliterate myself. That was not the thought. I was excited. And I wanted adventure and I wanted something different. And I was really exploring. And um, it, knocked me, it knocked me right on my ass, just those four or five beers. I, I, I just remember waking up the next morning. And uh, my clothes, I had all my clothes on. <laughs> I just... <laughs> fell onto my bed, thank God, or maybe somebody put me there. And uh, it was, we were just kids messing around, you know, 13 years old. And, um, I didn't think much of it. It wasn't like, wow, I can't wait to do that again. That truly wasn't the feeling. But I recognized that something, I was, I was venturing into, into a territory of 
self-empowered exploration. Mm. This was, this was not about my parents and this was not about sports and I'd been way into sports. And this was something else. Like I was like checking things out for myself in a way that I had never done. And that was, that was significant in my story because part of my story is about um, feeling like I didn't have the power to do anything. So whenever I could do something, especially to change my consciousness, that was a real example of power to me. Like, Oh, I could do this. I could do this. And I could, I could change the way I feel like, wow, that's, that's like kind of significant to me. And, and just to bring it to the present for a minute, I feel the same way today about yoga and meditation. Mm. I can, in 30 minutes, I can completely shift my emotional state utterly. I can shift my physical state. I can, I mean, I have complete power and dominion over this machinery. If only I just do the things that I've been taught to do. Um, so that's, that's exciting. That's very exciting to me. But Beautiful. that first time uh, was that. And then the second time, unfortunately, I had this terrible uh, alcohol poisoning event where a friend and I sat down and just decided to play head head to head quarters, just bouncing a quarter into a cup, drink a shot, bounce a quarter into a cup, drink a shot. And, um, well, we just, you know, we, these two little 13 year old boys, um, we polish off a, a bottle of Smirnoff vodka and then another quarter of a, another bottle, uh, inside of an hour. We just, just crushed it. Yeah. And it was, it was so fast that, that it, we didn't really realize what was happening until it was too late. And that time, um, that was the last time I ever drank in that manner again in my entire career of drinking and using drugs. I never went back in that way. I wasn't, it was probably because of that experience that I did not become um, a, a hard liquor alcoholic. Um, and did that, you end up that, in the hospital? I uh, didn't, didn't end up in the hospital. Uh, I was just throwing up for, for, you know, a good 12 hours yeah. as was my friend. Ironically, I was telling the story to a, a mother the other night who called to, for some support. Um, it was mother's day. When I woke up from this thing, it was mother's day. My mom came in to find the room painted with my vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you a, a good clear <laughs> we got the picture we got the image yeah. all right 14 13 years old and, and so that was that and um again i wasn't trying to hurt myself um i truly didn't know better um and once i had learned that lesson as i said i never went back to that particular place again but what i did do was i discovered marijuana and that was the thing that I had been looking for. That was the thing. That did it. That, that made me feel a level of relaxation, but still awareness, mm -hmm. like I'm still, yep. but like that anxiety that I had grown up with, the hyperactivity, the, the constant movement, that was a big part of my life, the sports and, sport cards and you know, television and movies and like everything was up, 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 up. Excitement was the thing for me. That's what it was going to be up, 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 always the uppers, always the uppers. Later on, it would be cocaine and, um, uh, and all of that. So, you know, marijuana was the first thing that I found that, that helped me to control 
something that had been bothering me that I, I didn't even know it had been bothering me until I, until it was taken away. Right. Once it was taken away. Oh my God. Um, so marijuana became, uh, for me, it was a 10 year love affair. Uh, and it wasn't always love during those 10 years, but it was a 10 year affair. And then at the end of it, um, well, by the end of it, I had started to get into some very, very hard, hard drugs where the, the idea of recreational drug use had, had gone by the wayside. Okay. And now we were, we were into the cocaine and the crack and the well, before heroin. we get there, before we get there, right? I want to, I want to, let's, let's do the, let's do the linear scope. All right. So, sure. so I, I'm going to turn the show over to you now, Tommy. I want you to tell us your story, the battle with drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life when you hit rock bottom, and then finally your journey into recovery up until today. So Tommy, take it away. Okay. Well, <clears throat> so that was the beginning. Um, You know, to feel a part of a community, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, for me, it was the community of people who were smoking pot like me. Um, to have my first connections with girls around marijuana, to discover music and art and things that I never would have looked at myself, but to be exposed to these new ideas because I was so sheltered and so closed down as a kid and so confused and so hyperactive. I mean, the only thing that I could conceive of doing was, was playing sports and there was just nothing else. There was nothing that could captivate me or hold my interest. Sports were the biggest impact that I felt in my body. That was like that release and that excitement as a child of playing baseball and football, soccer, like, I mean, it's just into all of it. And, you know, there was, there was just, this thing was going on at home, which I would just label as tension, stress, worry, fear, uh, anger, bitterness, and sadness was like, that was just what was going on at home. And so, I started to get away from that and I started to, to find like love and connection. And, you know, as a, when I started smoking pot as a teenager, I remember like part of the part of our crew, like I would hug my friends. Like we would hug each other. I mean, guys, mm -hmm. you know, like me and my best friends, my running partners, like, we just, you know, when you saw each other, you gave each other a hug. And that was like the first time, like outside of my father or, or like, you know, a family member that I ever was like, oh, my God, I, I get to hug somebody. And there was nothing sexual or, or weird or gay or or not gay. It was about it. It was just two people coming together and, and being like, hey, what's up? I totally relate to you. Boom. Hug. I'm like, wow. It was, it was great. It was so great. and. So there was this like new thing going on and then there was music. There was reggae music and there was Bob Marley and there was, <laughs> and there was Peter Tosh and there was culture and there was, um, I mean, it goes on and on and on from Dennis Brown to Gregory Isaacs to, I mean, really went into it. 
And then there was, you know, the Grateful Dead. And that's that's been, you know, all the music of the dead and reggae and jazz and, and bluegrass and rock and roll and psychedelic rock. Like that's been a major tapestry for me sonically that that helped me to grow up and, and to become who I am and see things the way that I am. We would pour over song lyrics like religious zealots, you know, looking over a scroll in the desert. Like that's what we were like. It, it meant everything. And so I started to get into this. I started to develop a community. And that community of, of young kids happened to be a community that completely embraced drug use. That was just that was just a part of what was going on. If you didn't do it, you would not be attracted to us. We would not be attracted to you. It was simply a part of what was going on. It was a part of our experience. And, and I, I try not to vilify that. There was neither good nor bad about it. It's just what was going on. And it's what we had at our disposal. It's what made sense to us at the time. And, you know, we, we all came from relatively challenged home situations, some of us more than others. And many of us had identity challenges and identity issues as kids. Um, but we were, we were inspired by the music and we were inspired by the drugs and we were inspired by each other. And so there it was. That's, that's what it was in the, in, the, in the early and the mid-1980s. Travel around the country and, and having the time of your life. Like it was just very high highs. That's the way I would put it. There was no, there was no calmness to any of it for me. It was there very few moments where I felt calm but I felt high a lot and I felt excited. And like one, I really had the sense that I was part of something that was important. And that was always important to me as well. Purpose. Why am I here? What am I a part of? What do I, what, what do I want to be a part of? And so all that went into um, just a continuing exploration of pursuit of a high which we just tried to never come down from. And that is at the crux of my addictive process. So even, I wrote about this in the book, but even the Grateful Dead, like it got to the point where later on, you know, when I was really into drugs and, and not the best drugs and I was struggling, and I started to like not realize that I couldn't really stop even if I wanted to. I'd go to Grateful Dead shows to get high mm -hmm. from music. Mm -hmm. And if the music wasn't on that night, I would be disappointed in an enormous way. Like it wasn't like, oh, you know, the, the band wasn't really on tonight. I was like, well, God damn it. What am I here for? Ah, <laughs> you know, like, but really it meant so much to me and uh when i when i would get off from it you'd be like i mean the, the heavens would open and you'd feel a, a momentary relief and release from from what was becoming a, a really painful life and uh, the choices that i was making where at one point it was about exploration now the, the shift was this i'm no longer exploring what i'm doing is i'm trying to recreate a feeling and I'm trying to recreate it over and over and over again. I'm not interested in something new. I'm interested in having a high 
like I've known before because I know nothing else and I'm unwilling to experience anything new. Now that is what I was speaking about earlier about trying to stop your evolutionary process. I'm just in, I'm on, now I'm on the treadmill. And once you get on that treadmill, you're going to be looking for ways to continue to beat back the inner voice because your inner voice is still there. And it's going to tell you, you have dreams. You have ambitions, things you aspire to. And you're not going to get to live any of those things into reality because you're stuck in addiction. And you can't even complete tasks that you begin. You're starting to lie a lot. You may not be able to admit that to anybody except maybe, maybe to yourself. And, so, and when it gets real bad, you can't even admit it to yourself. And when you don't even know you're lying, that's when you're in that uh, thing called denial, which is what the, those, those letters stand for. Don't even know I am lying. <laughs> <laughs> Minus the K. <laughs> but uh, that movement away from being able to tell the truth is also a telltale sign that you're in, in serious trouble and you've got to right the ship quick. And that happened to me. And when you, when you get away from the truth and you get away from your family, you get away from yourself, you get away from what's meaningful in life, the pain gets worse. Mm -hmm. And now you're a way to, to, to solve a bigger problem. You're no longer working on solving the problem. The problem is the underlying causes and conditions of the challenges of your life. But you're not working on that problem anymore at all. Now you're trying to solve the problem that's been brought about, brought about by your drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's the problem of life. Like you're, you've made your life really bad and all the decisions you're making are making it worse. In order to deal with that, well, you need something stronger. Now you don't think to yourself consciously, uh, <laughs> today I'm going to use a harder drug <laughs> because life has gotten so bad. Today I'll, I'll use a harder drug for that. No. It'll happen like this. So the way, will, the way it will happen is somebody will come up to you. Maybe you'll be at a party or you'll, you'll be uh, at a cafe or, or in a restaurant or so, someone will come up with you, come up to you and they'll just happen to have some cocaine. <laughs> they just happen to have Oxycontin. <laughs> they'll just happen to have Adderall. They'll just happen to have some Benzo. Or they'll have something that you haven't tried yet. And because there's pressure mounting in your life, you're going to say, yeah, yeah, I think so. Even though, I mean, I had said to myself, I'm never going to do cocaine. I had seen people for the first couple of years of college, I'd seen people do cocaine and it didn't look right to me. It really didn't look right. I'm like, wow, that, that's, there's weirdness around that. And there is weirdness around cocaine, and for good reason, because it, it's, a, it's a really awful, really awful drug. And um, See, I'd watch so many movies glamorizing it, you know. <laughs> I, I, always, I always got stuck in the beginning, and for whatever reason, my brain always disconnected from, like, 
the the, the horrific endings, right? But the beginning awesome. was always like, God, that looks like fun. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing about cocaine is is for me as well. You know, the first night that I stayed up all night doing it and experienced the horrendous pain of a nervous system that can't calm down mm-hmm. and you can't sleep and, and you're, you're, you're plagued by the worst negative thinking imaginable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said to myself the next morning, I will never put myself through that again, but there were another hundred to 200 nights coming. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easily. Easy. And every time pay the same price yeah. and just be like, you know, after a while you're like, wow, I, I, I must, I guess this is what they mean when they say problem. You know, this is a problem for me. Um, although even at the end, I couldn't say that. I couldn't say those words. Um, but this is the point is that I never intended to become a, a cocaine addict, a heroin addict, a marijuana addict, an alcoholic. It, it was gradual. And at first it was, it was what I needed. It did something for me at first in the exploratory phase, but because I never developed as a human being, I never developed passion and interests. I never explored the world and I wasn't inspired uh, as a kid. You know, the drugs became the focus. Drugs became the focus of life. And so I didn't get to have a life. And so the thankful, the thankful thing is, is that at 22 years old, you know, by this point, I had been doing a lot of cocaine, smoking it, and I'd been doing a, a fair amount of heroin. Um, I, reached, I reached that first bottom, that bottom of desperation. And it, and it was waking up uh, in Boulder, Colorado, and at the end of a three-day cocaine run. I owed a drug dealer a, a lot of money. Um, I had nobody. And I had no connection with my family. I mean, they, they had by no means abandoned me, but I just wouldn't let anybody near me. And they had no sense of my life uh, other than they pretty were pretty clear I was in trouble, but they didn't know the details of it. Right. And I picked up the phone from a place of absolute desperation. I have no girl, no credit card, no money, no place to go, no purpose. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know where to go from here. I have no next move. And so I called my father and uh, as he had always been, he was there for me and uh, his tears actually on the phone that day, I said, I I would not go to treatment. And he said, you have to go. You have to go. And I said, I'm not going, I'm not going. I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not going, not me, not me, not me, not me. And it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle, but I, I felt my dad's pain and suffering, and I saw myself through his pain and suffering clearly. And I was like, all right, I'll go. I'll go. These days, whenever I hear somebody or see somebody who's in the throes of alcoholism or drug addiction, and I think how far I think how difficult it is to get sober and how I never would have unless I had no other move. 
And, you know, the gift of death. Yeah. You know, you have to understand, like, if drugs have become something that you use to get through the day and you're into the, you know, heavier, you know, echelon of drugs, you're, you're taking your life in your hands. And more than that, you're, you're not able to develop. Your dreams are not coming true. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And so I tell people, if you even think you could possibly be an addict or even a problem drinker, get the help you need to get off of it and to develop a life of meaning and purpose and joy and love and connection. Because these substances will, will take, will put a barrier between you and everything important. And that was my experience. I, I entered recovery. I went to treatment up in uh, Minnesota at Hazelden. Mm, okay, excellent. Uh, I was 22. They put me in the young, young people's place. It was like everybody under 25 was in this place. And um, it really was one of the most incredible things of my life. And I didn't, I didn't feel that way when I got there, but in a couple weeks, I did feel that way already. I could see, I was like, wow, this is like, I'm not going to admit this to anybody, but this is incredible. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody that I <laughs> The ego, man. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is really something. Um, I'm learning a lot and I'm, I'm starting to unravel what happened to me. What, and, and why I behave the way I behave and what's been bothering me so much, you know, and without that beginning and which by the way, was the beginning of an exploration of spirituality. So in, in treatment, we did the, the, we did the five steps, the first five of the 12, you had to do those in treatment and then, and then you, you were close to getting out. So, so now, right, there is, this, there is this space. I'm 22 years old. I'm in Hazleton, right? I'm starting to have my first spiritual awakenings, right? And so, yes, tell us that journey from that moment, 22, until the, to the, to the aha moment comes, right, for getting full-time into the recovery uh, movement. It's important to say that I had had many spiritual awakenings before that. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, uh, with, with the Grateful Dead and, and, and drugs were involved in many of those spiritual awakenings, but they were awakenings nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, and that comes in a little bit later in the story. But, you know, when I, got, when I was getting out of Hazel and they said, please, um, please go to Halfway House. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we would suggest go to Halfway House for three months. And I was like, oh. Three months. It might have well been ten years. You know, it was like a, a second. Couldn't imagine it. Just came through forty days of treatment. I'm like going going back to my girl, and you know, I, there was there was someone I wanted to come back to, and there was like going to go back to my friends and all this stuff. And they're like, no, we think you need three more months, and it's really important. And I had by this point really done what they asked me to do. Really, really done it. And I said, I'll go. I will go. I'll do it. And then they said, and there's one more thing. You know, I, I, um, 
they said, we, we don't think you should go to any more Grateful Dead concerts. <laughs> I think that's, that's going to be the end of, of that for you. And um, I told them, we're going to have to find a way for me to be sober at a Grateful Dead show. Because I'm never, ever stopping. Never. And it was the first thing they had sort of heard me say, which was absolutely obstinate against what they were saying. And they were like, is, is that it? I'm like, that's it. That's it. And that very same year, um, an organization of deadheads, of sober deadheads formed itself into what's called the Warfrats. And they met at every concert in between the first and the second set to have a, a meeting so that you could be sober and wow. have a meeting at every show. And so for the next five years until Jerry Garcia died, um, I was able to go to hundreds of concerts, um, literally, and uh, participate in that community that I loved so much, completely clean and sober, um, but still tapping into that joy and that connection with the music and the meaning behind it. And it was just, it was just an absolute gift from the universe. That's, that's neither here nor there, but that's, that's part of what I was doing in my early recovery was seeing the Grateful Dead and thank God. Um, I, I, I basically will tell, I'm going to shorten this story because it's a very long tale, but I want, I want your listeners to just get two, two, two things here. The problem with getting sober from a place of desperation is that you're going to feel better in a few months. Yes. And that desperation is not going to be there anymore. So the desperation, which was the necessary ingredient for you getting sober in the first place is gone now. So something else has to take its place. Something else that has weight and meaning for you so that you will stay on the path of recovery. It doesn't mean so that you'll stay sober. You will stay sober if you're on the path of recovery, but the path of recovery means that you're learning and growing and you're dedicated to this unfolding discovery in your life, which doesn't include drugs and alcohol. Well, for me, I, I, I was committed to staying sober when I got out of treatment. And I went to seven meetings a week in Boulder, Colorado. I went back to Boulder, went to meeting every day, but that's the only thing I did. I didn't have any recovery life. I didn't have any community. I just went to the meeting. I checked off that box for the day. And I, was, I did my, that was my recovery. And then I could go back to my life. And that's called floating. I was floating. Didn't really know anybody in recovery. I didn't let them get to know me. And I didn't take the time to get to know them. Um, so I was still with all my friends who were using but I was just the kid who was the designated driver and they all, they all understood that I'd been to rehab and they actually were pretty respectful as much as uh, in that situation. They didn't want me to use drugs um, and they understood that I didn't want to use drugs or alcohol. And so I was just there. So I floated like that for a while. And what happens when you're floating is all of a sudden you start asking yourself, this thought comes in your head. Why am I going to these meetings? Like, what was the reason why I need to go to these meetings? I'm sober. It's fine. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like it's going to be okay. So, 
Seven meetings becomes five a week. Five a week becomes three a week. Three a week becomes zero. And you're just done. I'm no longer a part of 12-step recovery. And not, in fact, I'm not really a part of any kind of recovery. Mm-hmm. It's kind of floating in my life. I'm going to finish school. I'm a young kid. Uh, you know, I'll figure it out. Then I'll figure it out. <laughs> now, what I say to people in early recovery who don't have a plan is I say, if you don't have a plan in early recovery for staying sober, then you definitely have a plan. <laughs> Your plan is not to stay sober. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> you, either, you either get a recovery plan or you're, you're headed out. And you need to understand that about yourself. If you're anything like me, that's the way that is. So one day I was, on a, uh, I was at a party and some guys were smoking pot and they offered it to me and I took it. Mm-hmm. As natural as the day I was born. That's how it felt. I knew I was doing something that probably was going to end in tears. I knew that there was probably a reason why this was not a good idea, but I couldn't summon in that moment uh, a good enough reason not to do it. So I, so I just went for it. By the end of that night, I had taken some ecstasy and, and drank a whole bunch of alcohol. So I really, I really got in with a bang. You know, yeah, right. right. <laughs> How long have you been sober until you got to that? I've been sober just over a year. Okay. Just over a year. I made it to a year. That was a big thing. And, and then, uh, and then I um, went out. Now, over the next year, a lot happened. I, um, I, I went to Europe uh, with the Grateful Dead and traveled in, in, through across Europe in 2000. I, I took a lot of drugs, pretending to many people that I was still sober. Mm. And that whole thing going on. Wow. Um. My mother called me when I was in Europe and, and let me know that she had cancer. And she told me, I know you're coming home next week. I don't want you to change your plans. I just need you to know what's going on with me. And we'll talk about it when you get home. And I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to fight this thing and I'm going to win. And that was right around November 1st, 1990. And by March, three months later, four months later, she, she died. Um, of lung cancer. And all this time I was in and out, in and out, sober for a week, try to stay sober, out, you know, sober for two weeks, out, sober for three days, out, just, just struggling. Just not, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got some jobs. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm just sort of, you know, (laughs) I'm disconnected from myself in the worst way. Oh, yeah. And so after my mom died, my family, they came to me and, you know, they said, look, what do you want to do? I said, you really want to know what I want to do? And they said, yes. And I said, I want to go be with my friends on tour. I want to be with, with the Grateful Dead and I want to be with my friends. I don't, that, that's how I want to deal with this. And they said, you should go. You should just go. And, and I think they understood that, you know, if I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself by this point. If that's where I want I how old was I? Yeah. At that point, at that point when they said that. Yeah. I'm, um, 24, 24, uh, no, 23. I'm about to be 24. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I went on tour 
And I stayed sober um, for a number of months. And then the day came at the beginning of June that year where I, I smoked pot. And then for the next three months until I got sober, 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 um, I was using drugs, whatever I could find. And I, I actually wasn't able to get high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a strange thing. I was, I was uncomfortable in my skin. And there's nothing that I could do to ease it up. Finally, I, I went into a 12-step meeting three days in a row. Each day, and that evening, I went out and got wasted. And I'd come back to the meeting the next day. The third day, raised my hand, I'm Tommy, again, you know, this guy got up in my face at the end of the meeting, cornered me, literally. His name is Neil. He's still alive. He's doing, doing really well. He's in New York. And uh, he said, hey, man, what's your problem? <laughs> and I was like, what? Uh, 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 he said, that's right. You have no idea. You have no idea what your problem is. <laughs> he said, you're walking around the world with untreated addiction. Don't you see that? And it just, it hit me in the heart. And he said, I, I'm going to be your sponsor now. And that's not usually the way that works. Nope. <laughs> and uh, I said, Okay. And so for the next 60 days, I was planning on moving to uh, San Francisco in 60 days. That was on the books. And so for the next 60 days, I went to a meeting every single day. Stayed sober. Neil took me to the meeting every day. Every day. And then I moved to San Francisco and I got a sponsor immediately. And I started to work the 12 steps for the first time since treatment. But really, really working. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was going to meetings every day, going to coffee out with my friends, with sober friends at night, going to movies, going to see the Grateful Dead, going, you know, whatever it was, there was an element of recovery in it, period. Never missed a meeting, never, you know, I mean, just, just in it, dedicated. And I worked those 12 steps to the best of my ability at that time. And I, I was delivered freedom from, from drug addiction. Freedom. I, I got to wake up one day and not realize, couldn't realize, couldn't remember the last time I thought about using drugs. That's freedom to me. It's not that you're thinking about using drugs, but somehow you fend it off. That's not freedom. Freedom was, I don't think about this anymore. Correct. I don't care about this yes. anymore. It's, there's no charge here for me. And, and I don't care about talking about it. And I don't care if you use drugs. It's none of my business. But I just don't. And I'm really happy about it. And I don't think about it. And there's no middle ground for me. I'm not going to be that guy who goes back and tries to, to moderate my drinking or smoking pot. I've seen enough. I've learned enough. And I'm done. And that, that gift was delivered to me through the 12 steps. Incredible. Yes. Um, yes. So there's the, the, the two more things. The next 12 years, the first 12 years of my recovery, 
I get to experience just about every other addiction that there is. <laughs> of course, of course. Everything. Sex addiction, gambling, debting, cigarettes, stress and drama, everything, codependency. I'm walking through these, <laughs> I'm just a ball of addiction, even though drugs and alcohol have been removed from my life. But of course, because the underlying conditions that caused me to reach out for drugs and alcohol have never been dealt with. And, and the universe, God, the consciousness we spoke about earlier, wants me to get through this stuff, wants me to figure this stuff out. And so that's what's going on. So one by one, I'm walking through these incredibly painful experiences. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Sober. Sober. Yep. Romantic relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Familial relationships, friendships, mm-hmm. uh, business, trying to figure money out. I mean, it's so painful and I'm just learning, but I'm learning so slowly and I'm, and I'm in addiction and I would reach my final bottom. The last bottom is the bottom of um, realization. And the bottom of realization is the, 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 the clarity that um in order for you to realize your potential and your destiny as a human being, you're going to have to pursue the next level of training. And the next level of training came in the form of my teacher, Guru Prem. Kundalini yoga expert, had been a gymnast his whole life, a very gifted yogi, dedicated practice, such a kind, open-hearted, loving human being. And he was put in my life in the most magical of ways. And he taught me how to breathe properly, how to move. He taught me kundalini yoga. He taught me meditation. He taught me a whole new way of looking at life, of looking at relationships, of looking at people. I dedicated myself to his teaching. I'm still dedicated to his teaching. And Everything that I do now, everything came from his teaching and, and what I'd learned previously through the 12 steps and, and my direct experience with addiction. That yoga piece is indispensable. Yes. Indispensable. Yep. And, I, and, I, and I, will, I will go so far as to say it may not be for you only because you have chosen it not to be for you. Mm. But it is for anybody. Yes that chooses it. it. It will go as deep as you are willing to take it. It will detox you at a deeper level than is possible by any other means that I've found. It will calm your mind. It will strengthen your body. It will create vitality. It will create immunity to disease, even the disease of addiction. So it, for me, it's not a give or take. You practice yoga on the path of recovery. The path of recovery is yoga. Yoga is the path of recovery. The 12 steps is uh, an adjunct to the path of yoga. The path of yoga is an adjunct to the 12 steps. You can go up against anything. If you have a great teacher and you have a dedication to a path of teachings, it's the opposite of floating. As much as every addict I've ever met hates structure, we thrive within it. We absolutely thrive within structure. 
I've never met the addict that loved and embraced structure. And I've never met the addict, the recovering addict that didn't thrive within it mm. when they were willing. It's Amen. remarkable. Yes. We yes. <laughs> so today I'm, I'm, uh, it's 14 years since I met Guru Prem. Um, my body is healthier than it's ever been. My mind is calmer than it's ever been. And that, that's, that says a lot because I still experience stress. I still experience difficult days and, and hard times because I'm a human being. Um, but, but there's something I can do about it. And I can do it right away. And there's, there's, no, there's no question of, if, if someone said, do you think you can get out of anger? Of course I can. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can get out of bitter resentment? Of course I can. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could forgive somebody who's really done you a, a wrong turn? Of course I can. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could forgive yourself for everything you've done imperfect in your life? Of course I can. I have a, I have a way to do it. I have, there's a system, there's a process, there's teachers, there's, there's a path to follow. And that's the message. And so all you have to do is get on the path and stay on the path for the rest of your life. <laughs> wow, man, just beautiful. Tommy, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, there's so much, right? There's so much in here. Um, and especially when you're a newcomer, uh, I'll, so many of my listeners, so many of the people that follow you are, are, are newcomers. They're brand new. And when they hear a message like this, it's, it's almost like, how do you eat an elephant? Right? Because there's so much, right? There's so much. And this is where it's like one day at a time. It's one day at a time because there you were. Uh, I, I was doing some of the math here. So it looks like right around 36 is when you got into yoga, right? I got into yoga a lot before that, but I, I had a teacher finally to really show me an expanded view of yoga when right. I was 36. So then there was, that, there was that time where you started to really shift in a way where uh, once again there was hope. Once again, you know, first you come into recovery and a lot like what you talk about when you come in and you really embrace the program, you'll have what they call as the pink cloud. And sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's a year, whatever the case may be. But then what happens after you come down off the pink cloud and then you start to substitute other addictions, right? And then you deviate and then there's another journey. And now you come into this very, very mind-body-spirit connection. And so from there, right, when did Recovery 2.0 start to launch, right? And what was that first year like? Because like, I, I think about when I just started the podcast, right? And it was like, I think I'm just going to start a podcast, right? Without any sort of like... It, it wasn't like I sat down and mapped it out and had a big, like, here's my five-year goal. Here's my one-year goal. It was like, I'm going to start a recovery podcast because I feel like it. You know what I mean? And, and I know what that first year looked like. Um, and, and, you know, now it's, it's, it's so much bigger, right? We just over a million downloads, 5,000 people in the, in the private group, thousands of people every week listening to the podcast. You know, three years later, I've got Tommy Rosen on the show. Ooh, right? So, like, it's like... Things are, things are happening, but in that first year, it was like, I remember, hey, Nikki, can you hook me up with Tommy? Episode 24 when I'm getting like 100 downloads, maybe, right? So, so, so tell us what that first year was like and how you just kind of, like how it started and what it looked like. Before I get to that, I want to just address the first part of what you said, which is 
I just laid 26 years of, of, of information down in, in 20 minutes. And that's got to be overwhelming for a newcomer. Absolutely. Um, and the answer to how I got to 26 years is simply one day at a time, as you said. So that needs to be emphasized that, again, different stages of recovery need to be recognized. The beginning stage, you've, just, you've, you've been desperate and you're changing. Embrace the 12 steps. Embrace your program of recovery. Get help. That's all you got to do. Just get through the day without using, without picking up, and be working a program. That's all you have to do. All the rest of life will take care of itself. You begin there. Okay. Then later on, your life will get bigger. You'll be able to take on more responsibility. And hopefully you can do so in a responsible way and without adding stress to your life. Meaning you're taking on something perhaps that is uh, too much or you're, you're engaging in a pattern of spreading yourself too thin, as I have done many, many times. Uh, so you just want to be mindful of those as life gets bigger choices. Um, but it's one day at a time. And if I can be here from where I was, uh, so can you and so can anybody. And by here, I literally mean here, present, just here right now. If I can be here, you can be here. And it doesn't take that. Uh, it can, it's something that you can access. Okay. So now the first year of recovery 2.0. Um, I'm on the phone uh, on a, on a, in, someone's interviewing me much like you are right now. It's Mastin Kip. Love Mastin. Mastin says, Love Mastin. Yeah, my buddy Mastin Kip. And Mastin says at the end of the interview, he says, you know, you, you really speak well. You should interview people about recovery. That's December of 2012. December 2012. And I say, I'd love to do that. I'd actually, I know a lot of people in recovery. I'd love to interview people in recovery. He's like, yeah, you ought to do that. Do a summit just like I'm doing. That was it. Three months later, we, we launched Recovery 2.0, March of 2013 with our first summit. 25 interviews that I did with 25 amazing people. And we started to spread the information that had been missing, that I couldn't find anywhere on the internet. Real, practical, applicable practices, tools, perspectives that would help you at whatever stage of recovery or addiction you might be in. And so we, we marketed well, we communicated well, we put it out everywhere. We had all of our presenters put it out to their lists. And lo and behold, we had 16,000 people come to the first conference. 16,000? 16,000. The conference is online, so it's free. Um, and right now we have our 10th conference coming up. So this is now 10, nine conferences later, five years later. And, uh, you know, now we get somewhere between 30 and 50,000 uh, any given conference. Um, and again, it's all free, so everybody should, should check in. It's, um, you just register for it. It's r20.com forward slash conference. That's all. So the, the letter R, number two zero dot com forward slash conference. Um, that's free for anybody. And uh, it just it just turned out to be the information that people really needed, in many cases, to heal their family, to turn their life around, uh, or to get to the next level in their recovery, like, like I had to do all those years when I was experiencing all these other addictions. 
So the idea was simple. We, we can't just focus on addiction and recovery. We have to focus on life. How are you using your body? How are you using your mind? How do you pass your time? What is your program of recovery that gives you time to do your life? What's your path? Um, you know, what food are you eating? Almost most importantly, how do you get to bed at night? How do you wake up in the morning? And so we just brought experts in who could help people to build an extraordinary life at every level, to heal, to learn, to grow, to experience joy, to have relationships of meaning, to understand that we all make mistakes and how to come back from those mistakes. Um, so that's the information that we've been putting out. And now over a million people have seen our videos, which is very exciting. Yes. We've had yeah. thousands upon thousands of people write us and tell us how important the work is. So on top of that, we also do a coaching program. And now we finally have a membership site where at r20.com where people can join our membership and access our entire library of teachings from 250 interviews that I've now done to yoga classes, meditation classes, nutrition instruction. Um, we really cover every area of life and you can access that. We also, everybody gets together in our community every Monday night online. And we, we uh, either I or another teacher will present a topic and then we do Q and A. That's 52 Mondays a year. So we really keep people together in a process, engaged, um, and that has made all the difference. Beautiful, beautiful. So folks, just so you know, I, I, while Tommy was talking, I was looking at my schedule here because I know that the conference is, it starts over here on June 5th. And June 6th. It's, uh, okay, June 6th. To the 10th, right? Yes. Okay, June 6th. Uh, one day before the conference begins, we'll send you a link. Ah, okay. So they're going to send... So Tommy's going to... I already registered. That I'm reading just off the email that I, I registered on, right? So yes. June 5th, it, we get a link, right? But I'm looking at my schedule so I can launch this thing sooner than later. So uh, I'm going to launch this the 21st, either the 22nd or the 29th, so we can get it before. All right. So 29th. I gotta, 29th is good. Okay. Oh, 29th? 29th is good. 29th is, that's done. It's okay. Yeah. That's, that's in here. Right. Just so you guys are watching, I'm working this out with, with Tommy right now. We're, we're, we're working out the launch date right now. That's the, Amen. that's a, that's also first on share. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Moving up the dates. Cause it usually takes me at least a month to launch. Right. <laughs> Cause I'm a, I'm backlogged about a month, but I'm launching this one early. Well, it's, it's, we have an incredible lineup. It's very exciting. And you couldn't find a more dedicated group of people who want to help folks, um, you know, from Dr. Mark Hyman to Mastin Kip and Joe Polish, Nikki Myers, of course, Durga Leela, Guru Prem, my, my own teacher, and uh, many, many, many more who have um, just absolutely given their time so that people who come to the Recovery 2.0 conference can benefit and, and, and benefit all year long from it. So, Well, I just interviewed Joe Polish two weeks ago, 
Yes. We had an amazing conversation. Amazing conversation. I know his book is coming out. I interviewed Anna David probably about a year ago. Um, and we've got we've got Anna uh, as well in our conference this year, and and she's she's so she's so incredible and, and dedicated and just just awesome. You're only missing one person, Tommy. Is that Omar Pinto? Yes. <laughs> Omar, we'll get you next time, man. We'll get you next time. I'm going to hold you to that. We'll get you next time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, good, good. All right. So listen, so folks, listen, um, I'm going to have everything listed on the show notes uh, about about this particular conference, how you can register for it, right? Um, and then all the information, Recovery 2.0 website, which you know I'm sure you guys have already seen. So all the material. Um, is there anything else as far as um, something else you would like to tell the listeners as far as how to find you or what else to look out for, you know, please tell us. Yeah. Well, the, the, the only other thing that I want to say is, and we're um, not done by the way. So, okay. <laughs> um, the, well, the most important thing I want to say is, um, addiction is like, a it's like an entity. And I, I like to personify it. Um, it gives me sort of a form of the thing that I'm trying to, to, you know, work with and overcome. And as an entity, addiction has, you know, its preferences. It has its way of doing things and it has favorite foods as well. It's favorite food. Addiction's favorite, favorite food is your shame. Mm, Wow. It feeds off of that. And, and shame takes place in secretiveness and isolation. Yes. So if you really, really want to get better and you want to move ahead to whatever that next step is for you, that could be getting into recovery. That could be putting down drugs and alcohol for the first time in your life. Or it could be trying to excel um, or create a level of forgiveness that maybe you haven't been able to reach for someone in your life or for yourself, whatever that next step is, you have to come out of isolation. You have to talk to people, you have to communicate and you have to surround yourself by other people who are working on the same stuff. It's very critical because if if you're around people that are working on that same stuff as you, you will find a level of support and understanding that just simply isn't available otherwise. Um, So, the one thing that I would, would, would offer to anybody trying to get to the next step is don't be alone. Don't be in isolation. Come out. Tell someone what's going on. Tell them what your fears are. Tell them what your concerns are. Make yourself vulnerable. Inappropriate situations to the right person or the right people. Yes. But do that. Do that. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. So here's a couple things I want to touch on that I feel I've got three pages of notes. I don't know where to begin. So I'm just going to, we won't get to all of it. But, you know, there's so many beautiful things. One of the things, there's a tone that I get from you. One of the tones that I get is this this mindful approach to non-judgment, to create this and and this is where it all goes all boils down to too as well as that feeling of shame right you not only feel it in and of your of your of itself when you're alone 
because there is that already inherent guilt and shame that we carry from very young in childhood, just in the nature of how we were raised for so many of us. There's that tone of guilt and shame. Um, A lot of what my listeners shy away from, and the reason why I created the Share Recovery Network uh, on Facebook and the podcast, when we have these kind of conversations, it's about discussing recovery that works for you without judgment, you know, without the... um, what is it? The 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 dogma, right? Or is it the the dogma or the dharma? The dogma, the dogma behind. Like for example, I always equate it to the religious element, right? You come in, and there's so much. The way to keep people coming back is through creating guilt and shame. And a lot of what has happened too is that that has also worked its way into a lot of the twelve step fellowships, right? And I remember creating the group where it was like, I know that you hear. Take what you need and leave the rest. But there's always that, sometimes, not always, but they, there's those that feel that undertone of, of judgment when they, when they come in, right? Um, so I wanted to kind of like, you know, get your opinion or, or just kind of get your feedback, your stance, because that's the tone I get from you, right? Every time you speak, it's like, this is what's worked for me. And, and, and I want to present this in a state that where it's like, I'm not telling you what to do. But here's what worked for me and worked for so many. So, so how, what, what do, how do you speak towards judgment? Mm. Well, I've been working with three words lately to help myself along this, this particular judgmental, uh, the work that we do around being less judgmental. And the three words are not my preference. Mm. Um, that's as far as I ever need to go internally with myself. I don't have to explain uh, I don't have to start to tear somebody or something down. Beautiful. Uh, it's just not my preference. And that really covers it. And, you know, someone could push and push and push. Why is that not your preference? I want to know more. I want to know more. <laughs> but it's like, you know, well, it doesn't really matter. It just isn't my preference. And I'm perfectly happy with you having your preference, me having my preference. Uh, but let's, 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 let's be clear about what we're talking about here. Okay. We're talking about a problem that humanity is facing called addiction. Different people have different ideas about how to get get through it, heal it, cure it, move beyond it, whatever it is. Everybody, as far as I can tell, unless somebody's really, really, really sick, everybody wants everybody else to be healed from addiction. Everybody, whatever your ideas are, you, you might think that recovery 2.0 is, is, is nonsense and, you know, our, our yoga and our meditation, you know, not for me. I just don't believe in that approach. Our 12 steps, nonsense, nonsense. Whatever your thing is, you and I still have something in common. You want to be free, just like me. And you want other people to be free also. For two people who are trying to help other people to argue and to fight and to put each other down is absurd, wasteful, ridiculous, really ridiculous. And, and it just, we just shouldn't do it. The, the anything that's working, any path of recovery that's working 
should be celebrated and should be, by the way, torn apart. Beautiful. Yes. To be able to see. Yes. What is working here? And, and by the way, how could it be made better? Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to have that conversation, then you are stuck in dogma. Period. By definition. Correct. You, again, are trying to hold on to something and prevent an evolutionary process. Now, with judgment, you know, judgment is, is we, we all judge all the time. And judgment is different than condemnation. And I think when people say, don't judge me, I think what they mean really is, don't condemn me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because to say don't judge me would mean literally don't look at me and consider anything that you see about me. Don't make any judgment about me. And it's like, well, that's an impossible thing to do. I'm a human being with eyes and ears and a nose and, and an intellect. And if I'm going to look at you, by just naturally, that's what's going to take place. Is <laughs> I'm discerning, yeah. you know, like, if I look at a person uh, on the street and they happen to be a, let's see, uh, a six foot five curly haired uh, white dude with funny looking pants, funny to me, and uh, sneakers, funny to me, uh, that's what I'm seeing. From where I am, that's what that is. <laughs> Doesn't really mean anything. I'm not condemning that person. I'm just a human being. They're a human being. I'm using my eyes, my ears, and I'm discerning what's going on. You wouldn't want to give up your discernment. No. No. Condemnation. It's another problem. That's another issue. Um, you know, the way I view things is the only way to view things is not the stance of of a mature human being. Children feel that way. <laughs> Teenagers feel that way. <laughs> to, to sit there and say, whatever your belief system, this is the only way to believe. And, and by the way, you need to adopt this, otherwise some bad thing will befall you. Yes. Is not a good way to go through life. No. <laughs> <laughs> and and it creates conflict and, and war and it creates divide and division between people. So the condemnation game or the dogma game or the fundamentalist approach to things is 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 it is, is just a turnoff. Um it's a turnoff. I don't mean to me, I mean it's just a turn off. Yes, yes. You are you are turning off possibility, hope, connection. You're turning off like the way things actually are. You missed it. And you could say, oh, that's a judgment. That's a judgment. Of course it's a judgment. I'm discerning. I'm discerning what is attractive to me versus what is not. When, uh, when some religious people come to my door, every now and then I'll allow it. Okay, I'm going to have this conversation. All right, come in. I'm here. There, you know, I'm here. We're here to save you. Essentially, is the under the undertone of it. Um, and the way that we're going to do that is, you have to adopt our perspective. If you adopt our perspective, 
And you can have this, this, this amazing inner transformation based on our perspective. You'll be saved. I say, well, wait a minute. I was born into a family and a, and a culture and friends and God, that was seeing things differently than you. We, we, we believe differently than you believe. Right. That's why we're trying to save you. So let me get this. What are you saving me from? Well, not to be too dramatic, but we're saving you from hell. Eternal damnation. Hell. <laughs> and I'm like, well, let me get this. One. Let me get this. One. So I'm born Jewish. And I'm going to go to hell unless I figure out that being born Jewish, there was a problem with that. And so if I change and I shift over this other thing, then I won't go to hell. That's right. <laughs> so so I, I say, look, I'm not interested in changing your opinion about any of the stuff that you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I just don't see it the same way. And if in fact there's such a thing as eternal damnation or, or damnation at all, I can pretty much guarantee you that I've been through it already. <laughs> and, 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 um, and I'm not living in the concern of going back there. And so, and so we, we, we leave each other and that's the end of it. And so, Beautiful. you know, I went off on a little tangent there, but it, it's just, it, it's all part of the same thing. And we have to get, a, yes, we have to allow each other space. Um, especially in recovery, anything that's working. Now, if somebody is falling on their face drunk or they're, they're putting a needle in their arms and they don't know what to do, then I do feel it's okay for you to say, hey, can I help you? This worked for me. Would, would you try this? You know, and that's, that's about the best that we could do for somebody. But that's an offering, Right. That's, that's an offering. That's not a manipulation, right? It's not a tactic. It's not a strategy, you know? And so, and so again, as we close, even that, that whole idea of being non-judgmental, not being self-righteous in that sense, because there is, when we talk about judgment, it's more about not condemning someone for what they believe and not being self-righteous about what you do believe, you know, um, Contempt prior to investigation. So as we mm. as we as we look at that and we re we recognize what it is that's happening, right? And the, and so this is more about when someone comes into a room and they start to feel that they start to feel condemnation, they start to feel the self righteousness, they like to feel like they were being judged negatively based on what they're doing or how they're doing it or not doing it or whatever the case may be. But what we're doing is we're preventing people from connecting because it's all about community and connection. The reason why Tommy's clean, the reason why I'm clean, the reason why there's so many people around the world that have managed to have that moment that you were describing earlier about where you just realized one day that you no longer had the urge to use, right? Where it had been lifted, right? Where the desire to use had been lifted all came from this opportunity to be a part of a different culture, a different community, right? And to learn through expansion, right? And so, and so recognizing that we can't do this alone. Not, yes. you know, no one that I know of that's been able to successfully maintain sobriety and be happy, 
Because there's one thing to, to white knuckle it and say, well, I'm still, I don't know, I haven't drank, but I could kill someone, right? You know, it's, it's very different than someone that's saying, wow, my life is beyond anything I could have ever imagined, right? And I would have sold myself short if I had even tried to put some sort of expectations on what my life would look like, you know? So, so that is where... When you do that, when you condemn or you allow yourself to be pushed out, right? It's, it's, you're preventing yourself from connecting. Some people are just stuck, right? They're, they're still stuck even if they're in the rooms. We're just garden variety, alcoholics, drug addicts, right? Um, take what you need and leave the rest. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, Tommy, we're going to start to close. And the way I like to close is for the newcomers, Right. So I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and I want you to respond with answers that will inspire our newcomers. Are you ready? Yes. Excellent. Okay. So number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? The thought I had when I when I was first first getting sober. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying when you first got introduced to it? Because you kind of touched on a little bit, but there was always that little zinger. Sure. The, uh, so right before I got clean, right before that moment of desperation mm-hmm. that we discussed, um, the thing that kept me from getting sober was uh, all of the prejudice and misconception I had about people who were sober, mm-hmm. uh, about the 12 steps and, and what that was. And I really had no idea. I had no idea at all what was there. And, and, and it, is, it is such an incredible uh, opportunity. I just didn't know it. Um, so, so, so all of this negativity about, gosh, you know, if, if I become those people, mm-hmm. one of those people, Condemnation. my life, my, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> my life will never be fun. Yeah. I'll never, I'll never enjoy myself again. And the fact was I was so miserable that one forgets that. Yep. Absolutely. But here I am worried about my life's never going to be fun again. If I continue doing drugs, it's clear my life is never going to be fun again. So it's interesting. But then right after, um, it always was this idea. For me, I held on to the thing. A lot of people in early recovery hold on to an idea of what they're going to use when they can use again. Someday I'm going to use again, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Reservation. And uh, so for me, it was psychedelics. So for me, the thing that I was holding out on was someday I'm going to use psychedelics. And uh, that's, you know, I've, I've had such powerful experiences and, you know, wow, like what's wrong with, you know, cleaning out the pipes every now and then. And that was the thought for the first sort of couple of years, someday, 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 someday. And the, the beautiful thing that took place was my consciousness got up above that, finally, where I recognized that if there ever was something that I needed from psychedelics, I had already gotten it. Nice. And there was no point in returning. And in fact, returning could put me in grave danger. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't want to, I also didn't want to unleash the thinking dragon and start start thinking about using again and again and again, like, you know, um, the, the, the fact is, is that a lot of people still think about in the beginning, 
I want someday to be able to use. I really, really want that. And it just means that for that moment in time, they haven't given up the idea that it really won't bring value into your life at that moment. But just sit with the thought for a while, share it with your sponsor, share it with other people. Very important not to be secretive about that because that can get into scheming and manipulating and all that. And that's, that's that ne- no scheming or manipulating uh, in a self-harming way ever, ever did anybody any good. So don't be alone with those thoughts. Communicate with other people. It's okay. It's okay to have that thought. That's not a good thought, bad thought. It's just a thought. And best not to give it power by, by keeping it secret. Beautiful. So that's what I Perfect, perfect. All right. So, Tommy, tell us, um, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery, where you accepted that you were powerless over drugs and alcohol, but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? Mm. I think it was during the 60-day period when I met my, my friend and sort of initial sponsor, Neil, where we were going to meetings every single day. And right around by 60 days of going to meeting every day, I kind of was feeling like I want this. I actually want this. And I hadn't wanted it before. It was something I had to do or it was something that was forced upon me through circumstance. But that spiritual awakening, the awakening was, I actually want this. Yes. And that changes the game. Because in addiction, when you want something, you get, you're going to go get it. And in recovery, it's the same thing. So if you, can, if you can get to that place, if you can hang on there until that miracle takes place for you, where you, you say to your innermost self, I actually value this. I want this. Um, that'd be a, a huge day for you. And, and very good things will come from that. I love the word you just used right there. You know, value, right? Getting value because it's a powerful word. And it kind of, it, it really taps into what we're doing here. What do you value the most? Mm-hmm. Right? And is this, is this, if you can't find value in this, then that's where we can begin as well. Right, just having that conversation of what is it about this that you can't find value with, and what can you still find value out there? And it's almost like just trying to chunk down to find out what it is until we can kind of, you know, find what the higher purpose is of each one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you can discover what what that is, the value in, inherently will just kind of present itself, right? But but yes, we get caught in that. And trust me, I had a sponsor just like Neil, right? Who pulled me out of a uh, out of an NA meeting one day on my like 14th white chip you know and 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 grabbed me he was this New York Jew Ed and he God rest his soul he passed away a few years ago but the man saved my life and he grabs me pulls me outside the room he's like "Oma what are you doing why what, I, I don't think you're done yet you still got to watch did you drive here in your car I don't know 14 I don't know what are you doing I don't, I don't know if you're ready, right? And I just remember just, I don't know if it was reverse psychology. I don't know what it was in that moment, but I was like, no, Ed, I want to go in the room. I, I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looked at me, he goes, okay, 
right? You know, and I got to tell you, man, that I remember, I remember I said, Ed, will you sponsor me? Man became a father to me. Man became a father to me. And it's, it's just those huge, wonderful epiphanies. Just give yourself that grace. Give yourself that grace. It's happened to so many of us. And it's not that we didn't butt it. It was, you know, we're you're fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And I'm just here. I'm just going to be here for a year. And I'm just going to yep. do it for a little while. And I'll just yep. do this, but I won't do that. Right? And then eventually... Like Tommy says, if you just get to that moment where you recognize that, oh my God, something's happening and this feels good. It will, it will, it's the roller coaster. It's the top of the roller coaster you finally get to. And then just, it's just smooth sailing from there. I love it. It's amazing. You know, uh, (laughs) my words at the beginning were no. And why, why do I have to do this? Why, why doesn't anyone else have to do this? You know, and, and it just went on and on. I mean, my sponsor, my first sponsor, Rick, uh, took me through the steps. He was a saint. Had to have been. I mean, just to put up with 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 a two a two year old, yes. essentially three, three at best. Three at best. <laughs> no, no, why? <laughs> you know, really rough. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful memory lane, memory lane. I love it. All right, so Tommy, what are what are your favorite books? Like, what would you re- recommend to newcomers in early recovery? Mm. Well, uh, in terms of the spiritual piece of this, if you're in twelve step recovery, read the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, or uh, if you're in NA, read the Basic Text. Yep. Um, if you're in, you know, the, most of the fellowships have a text that they turn to. That's going to become a very important book because that's the actual program. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of books. Well, I mean, it's a universe. Uh, you know, the, the books that have moved me are, are all like wonderful stories, you know, and, and spiritual books, books like Siddhartha oh, by Herman. Yes. Or, or Illusions by Richard Bach or, um, oh, God, uh, uh, Don Juan, you know, uh, Castaneda. I mean, there's so many um, incredible books and stories and let's not uh, forget recovery 2.0 tommy okay moving beyond addiction (laughs) if we're we're talking about uh that book recovery 2.0 i mean definitely pick that up there we go Uh, um you know in 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 recovery modern day recovery i mean god there's there's so many self-help books which are helpful and there's so many um uh, personal development books, which are helpful. And, and, uh, you know, you, you just also the world of podcasts, what you're doing here. And, and there's such, so much information and value. Um, and then of course, audio books for, for those of us who have a hard time reading and finishing a book, you, you know, we're in a world where it doesn't matter anymore. Um, you can, you can just be in your car or, yep. or on the subway and whatever the deal is. And you're listening and you're taking good information. Um, the, um, Gosh. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, the books that always, you know, the poetry of Rumi. Yes. Or Hafiz. Um, these are, this is all timeless, you know, and, and then there's the whole yoga library, the entire yoga library. And I mean, like all of the Kundalini books, all of the um, books by Iyengar, um, light on yoga, light on life. Um, it's just, it goes on and on and on. Uh, all, all those are the books that, that most interest me and pull me in. 
You know? Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So number four, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? <laughs> it came down the pipe like this. Guru Prem. He said, any monkey can have a wedding, but you are going to need help having a marriage. Ooh. Wow. And the suggestion came that I needed to, you know, do some work with him around that. And we did. How long have you been married, Tommy? Uh, I've been married now coming up on, uh, it's 2018. 2018. Yeah, well, this is the big 15 coming up here. Wow. Wow. Oh, congratulations. I love it. Yes, my incredible wife, Kia. I tell you, man, it's it's the women behind us. My wife is is a yoga instructor. Um, you know, our cross passed because of the spiritual connection that we had, spiritual, not religious. But it was that dynamic connection spiritually when we met. We're, the, we're two weeks apart, right? And uh, I, my life has changed innumerably in, in ways that I can't even express to you how much my life has changed. And I, so I, I, I understand where you yes. are, brother. I believe you. Yes. Yes. From here. So, so uh, without, without the teachings of Guru Prem, without Kundalini Yoga, without this program, without without a dedication to learning, uh, without the, the understanding that I, I, I did not have what it took to, to be a, a world-class husband mm. and to have to learn how to do that. Um, the, the, hum, the, the humility required to do that work, um, the questioning, the, the counseling, the, the, the vigilance day in and day out to be present and, and there in my marriage um, has been the, the biggest challenge and gift of my life. So 15 years, um, and then there was the, the work that you did with Guru Prem. So when did you get to that point where it clicked, right? And then your marriage, you know, took that, that very beautiful spiritual turn in the right direction? Well, it, it, um, it wasn't like that for us. Uh, our marriage clicked from the very beginning. Uh, we, were, we were, we loved each other. We liked each other. Um, we didn't, we didn't really ever fight or disagree. Like, I, I really mean that. Like we really, really have had an unbelievable run. And so it wasn't so much about, you know, getting along. It was about this. Mm. Okay. It was about the mind, my mind. And it was about, you know, if you have spent a large amount of your life at the very least, seeking a sense of yourself in a woman. To be with one woman means that now you only have one place to go if that's where you're still looking. And I think that was what Guru Prem was saying, was when you're a single man, you, you can falsely try to fill the hole within you. Yes with any woman that you mm -hmm. come across when you're married, the burden of that, of that search would fall upon one woman's shoulders. No woman, no human being can satisfy the, the, the cravings of an ego. 
Nobody. And so that means that as a man, I had to change and stop looking for my own fulfillment in another person. That has been a 15 year and 18 year process with my wife. It, it's ongoing even now as I'm continuing to learn and grow. And so is she, she of course has her own stuff to deal with in her own process and her own deal. Um, that's the thing. It's two people coming together. And so very, very valuable lesson uh, to understand that you're, 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 if you're looking to another human to fix you and then you get into a relationship and you want that relationship to fix you, the burden upon that relationship is too great for that relationship to sustain. And it's going to come out sideways. Um, so that's a calling for everybody to do the work they have to do to connect with themselves first and to really, really dig in and to understand your completeness, your connectedness, your wholeness before you get into, uh, you know, marrying somebody. Yes. And if you're, if you're already into that, don't worry about it. You'll, you'll have a chance to work on it now from within the confines of that relationship. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I was so beautifully put, man. You know, I mean, there, there is, there is a, once again, another elephant, right? There's so much in there. But folks, if you can connect with what Tommy's saying, just finding what you're seeking is inside of you. You cannot mm -hmm. find that within a relationship with someone else, with a substance, with money, Nothing outside of you is going to satiate, satisfy the ego. It has to, you have to, you have to um, connect with spirit and find what it is internally that you're seeking. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So finally, number five, if you could give our newcomers only one suggestion, what would it be? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like we've, we've, we've given it. Uh, which is which is primarily just not to be alone with your thoughts. It's the number one. Um, in 26 years of my recovery, it's the thing that I've been best at. I think when I when I get into trouble, I'm aware of it, and I take action right away. And action for me is to speak to my teachers, and that could be a sponsor, or that could be a teacher of another form but it's somebody who's wise and compassionate and can hear it and who has good counsel. And I've just been good. I mean, I, I really, really mean like, listen, my life is, is a beautiful and successful life. And it is not successful by my efforts alone. It's successful because of my teachers that's not me being modest. Without my teachers, I wouldn't be here. End of story. That's it. Beautiful. So you need a teacher. Don't be alone. You need a community. You get a good teacher and a good community. Then you have every reason to believe you're going to overcome this addiction thing one day at a time and get to live an extraordinary life. A unique one for you. The one that you were supposed to live. Beautiful. Oh, man. And that is how we're going to close. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thanks, Omar. I'm grateful, man. So much love. Thank you. Yes. So much love. All right, folks, we have now reached the end of this amazing episode. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.